I'll be talking about more than just the Benjamins. Welcome to Fintech Beat, where finance, technology, and policy come together. I'm your host, Chris Brummer, and the future of finance is now. If you've been reading the news lately, you'd know that there have been two common threads of the public debate concerning COVID-19 in Africa. First, how severe is the crisis when looking at the unique demographics and challenges facing the continent? And second, what kinds of tools can be deployed in preventing the crisis from becoming a catastrophe? But behind the scenes, new sets of questions have also risen to the top of economists' priority lists, like what kinds of support mechanisms should governmental agencies make available to, in many cases, nascent financial systems and financial services providers? And what does support mean when operationalized on top of digital rails for the fabric of the continent's diverse economies? Can, in short, an economy be informal and also digital? And is that a good thing or a bad thing? To walk us through these and other issues, I am absolutely delighted to welcome Sabine Monsa, the Digital Hub Manager for West Africa and lead policy wonk for the United Nations Capital Development Fund. For years, Sabine has been at the forefront of digital development and has a unique understanding of the political, technical, and geographic challenges that have confronted Africa for decades and are now being exacerbated in the pandemic. For this reason, she's described as a rock star, and we're excited to have her dialing in from the great city of Dakar, Senegal. Sabine, it's really great to have you on the show. Thank you, Chris. It's an honor to be here. The United Nations Capital Development Fund is uh, quite an interesting organization uh, founded by the UN General Assembly back in uh, 1966 uh, to promote economic development and to assist in developing supplemental uh, sources of capital with grants and loans for developing countries. But you're in the business of digitization. What does that mean in practice, uh, especially in terms of what you're doing in West Africa? Well, thank you very much. Uh, whenever I'm asked what I do, I, my answer is I make finance work for the poor. Uh, the United Nations Capital Development Fund, we are focused on the least developed countries. And our mandate is really to use capital instruments to provide access to financial services. And we are really focused on the last mile, what it would take to make financial services available to all to what you and I might today take for granted, having access to a a bank account, being able to save, having interest, being able to protect ourselves with insurance, being able to get access to uh, capital for lending uh, to finance our activities. Well, then how do you cross that last mile? Uh, Clearly, you think of digitalization as a key component for uh, financial services, but but what does that mean in practice, and and what does it look like from the standpoint of economic development in sub-Saharan Africa? For me, it means um, breaking the um, physical infrastructure barrier. Where at the beginning banks 
in sub-Saharan Africa are mostly in capital cities and the main cities. Microfinance was the one at the time and still is to some extent with a large network in secondary cities and going a little bit further towards uh, populations uh, in uh, um, rural areas. With a mobile phone, which is in mostly, you know, which is available and in the pocket of most, even if the most vulnerable population have a mobile phone in sub-Saharan Africa. We have brought, digital has brought the banking services and the bank itself into the pocket of the customer. This has been the biggest change. What it means for the most vulnerable, a person living on $2 a day, he or she doesn't have to leave their business, travel one to two hours to get to a bank branch or a microfinance location, line up for about one or two hours to do a transaction and come back. That's half a day taken out of their daily subsistence because they had to do that. Today, they can sit down in their business with a mobile phone. They can do transactions, digital transactions, whether those transactions are payment, whether those transactions are, you know, uh, sending money, receiving money, or also using the same medium to save and also have access to capital because the beauty of digital also in the equation is that by using that instrument, you make data available. That data can be used and leveraged for scoring. And we are able, as financial institutions today, to score your credit worthiness based on just your mobile transactions, which wasn't possible before, particularly when you're looking at uh, West Africa and Sub-Saharan Africa in particular, where you know credit uh, uh, um, infrastructure or credit history is actually that infrastructure is less developed than it is the case in North Africa. So this has been the big, I think, paradigm change with digital. The physical infrastructure is no longer there. So now the question, and a real one, is how financial institutions, whatever banks, microfinance, or new players that are coming in, the fintechs, the startup solution providers or over-the-top uh, providers are leveraging that tool to provide financial services that are relevant to those populations that are vulnerable and are really looking at in those $2 that I have today, how much of that can I afford to save and how much of that am I going to use and what is it going to cost me to do so? And if I am using this solution, am I going to be able to have access to additional financial services, whether they're credit, insurance, and you know, a, a larger you know, a set of financial services? So maybe you can give us a bit of a concrete example here. You, you had mentioned credit scoring. How would that work in your development framework? Do credit scores operate as in the United States, uh, or is there something else? It is. It is something else. That uh, a credit history infrastructure is nascent in most uh, uh, of the countries where I touch in West Africa and Sub-Saharan Africa, perhaps, uh, except uh, in Southern uh, South Africa, where that infrastructure is built up. So in West Africa in particular, it is building it uh, as we go. So if you in the banking system, if 20% of the, con- the population is banked, that 20% is perhaps has a credit history, but I can't even pull out my personal credit history here in the car while I could do that in the US or in Canada. So the ones that are not in the formal uh, economy, the unbanked, the millions of uh, poor population, they have no credit history. That has changed with 
you know, mobile financial services. When mobile money came in and enabling uh, customers to have financial transaction on the phone, when you couple that with the historical just phone usage information, you have new players, uh, the fintechs that are able to leverage, you know, uh, alternative credit scoring mechanism to make that information available to the financial system. And, and that's the beauty of, you know, the collaboration that needs to happen between the uh, new players, uh, the, the digital uh, uh, financial service providers and the, uh, the banks and microfinance. So alternative credit scoring so that we can serve the poor. When you look at the situation today, um, uh, as in uh, many parts of the world, uh, the uh, COVID-19 pandemic is, is a disruptor of, of its own uh, sort. How is, is COVID impacting uh, West Africa, both from a sort of public health standpoint, since the data are, are really kind of hard to, to, to gather? And, and, and then how is it impacting the overall uh, economy of the region? Drastically, I think I would say, huge impact. I think uh, the United Nations um, Economic Commission for Africa, I think it was in, in April, had uh, one of the reports where uh, they were estimated that um, they estimated that the COVID nineteen pandemic would impact between three hundred thousand uh, uh, people to I think um, eighteen million people. Uh, in sub-Saharan Africa. And in the same report, they also um, shared the impact that this will have in terms of pushing more people below the poverty line and the fact that this will also have a lot of impact on unemployment and, of course, the, 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 the GDP growth or deceleration. So, I mean, depending on the statistic, but I can tell you for somebody who's living here in Dakar, Senegal for the past five years, I felt it and I can see around me that impact. And this is what has brought UNCDF also into looking at within the, the, the what we are doing and our core work on you know, leveraging digital for financial inclusion. What can we do? What are those solutions or digital solutions that could be we can leverage within the current COVID-19 uh, um, situation to provide solutions to governments, uh, private sector, and particularly a solution for vulnerable population from the uh, women, youth, rural population to also MSME owners that are being so impacted by the, uh, the COVID the situation. I mean, markets are closed. Um, so that means that everybody who are doing businesses, uh, businesses interfacing face-to-face that has stopped. I mean, million of micro entrepreneurs, million of traders, million of women business owners, market uh, uh, retailers are out of you know re- revenues because this was and still is the main channel by which um, you know these entrepreneurs are able to to sell the resources. So the um, put out a response in terms of COVID-19, but we've specifically looked at how we can leverage digital tools as a response of these opportunities are not only um, uh, digital infrastructure to contribute to solutions such as uh, um, uh, contact tracing, but also looking at how we impact the digitization of payment. One thing that you had mentioned, which is really interesting, is that it sounds then that the government um, certainly in Dakar, that the governmental responses to the threat are are very similar to 
the, the kinds of uh, governmental responses that you see uh, in the United States and, and, and Europe and, and elsewhere, that, that the response has just been to close businesses down and to limit commercial activity. Um, do you have a sense that, that Africa is in any way better prepared to go digital precisely because of these pre-existing challenges with you know, long distances, not the best physical infrastructure, and, and sort of an earlier move to go digital? Do you think that it's, it's been, as a result, uh, easier for many people in West Africa to, to transition to a digital economy? Or, or is this something where um, uh, even though digital has been really important, it, it's still really a, a, a bit of a challenge to convince people uh, that this is the way in which commerce is going to have to be conducted um, for the next couple of months? I think it has made it uh, very clear that digital is certainly a channel to leverage and in these, uh, this situation today. So I wouldn't say easier because in terms of uh, uh, preparedness from an infrastructure point, there are a lot of challenges that we can see in a different country. So that infrastructure barrier is still there. But we do have an ecosystem that we can build on, which has been the policy response in most of the country is looking at waiving fees on digital transaction as an incentive to get more people uh, to use a digital payment. Uh, looking at also uh, um, some of the barriers linked to identification, to access to a digital account. Uh, so that lifting those barriers so that more people can indeed uh, register for digital account and, and use digital payments. The e-commerce and, and leveraging digital as a way for access to market is not necessarily as high in West Africa as it was in, in other countries. So I think there's an opportunity and we've seen a lot of uh, innovation coming up and, and pushing this solution. We ourselves have leveraged a lot of uh, request for application to incentivize these solutions to come to the market. And I can share perhaps the example of Safe Boda in Uganda, which is in East Africa, but where you can see a transportation company, uh, motor taxis, turning into an online e-commerce platform with home delivery systems so that, you know, retailer can use the platform to sell and then customers can order online, pay digitally and be delivered. So, the opportunity is there. Uh, the question today for me is that we don't have to convince anymore that digital is indeed a solution or, or a channel to leverage. It's how we do it uh, and how we make sure that it you know, touches the most vulnerable and it is inclusive and, and really becomes a solution and a gateway for the ones that are most impacted by the crisis. Well, you've written a very interesting uh, study with colleagues on where then the demand is coming for for small businesses, particularly you know in this COVID uh, in environment. Are you seeing any um, shifts in terms of who the likely financial services providers are, particularly in this digital uh, economy? Uh, and and uh, you know, are these uh, sort of financial services providers uh, different, perhaps, from how we think of them in the United States, given the the the, the very important role of telecoms in, in Africa and, and and other kinds of industrial and, and and commercial players. Banks have traditionally been the financial service providers. Then we had the microfinance institution phase, and then in the last ten years, I would say it has been 
mostly the uh, telcos with uh, mobile money or email solutions that have positioned themselves as a channel and a gateway to the broader mass of unbanked and providing them with an instrument to have access to financial services. So these new set of players Telco-driven uh, mobile money, digital payment uh, um, uh, providers are indeed the rising, uh, I would say, breed of uh, financial service providers, particularly when we look at uh, vulnerable customers. Now, it's, it's interesting that before the crisis, particularly in West Africa, the story was a story of true competition, whereas, you know, bank felt that, you know, telco shouldn't come into the financial realm because it is a preview of the banks. And then uh, microfinance felt that, you know, we're really being threatened because we cater to the most vulnerable and these telcos are coming in and taking also a piece of our action. Where today the question is like, how do we collaborate together? Because we have a channel indeed, which is mobile and digital, can touch the masses, but we also need to make sure that the value proposition of a wallet is beyond just cashing in money in and cashing out. Because at the end of the day, that would still not solve our question of you know, inclusion and, and, and providing the tools to vulnerable populations to lift themselves out of poverty. So how do we make sure that the collaboration between the financial institution, the incumbent banks and microfinance, and the uh, digital players and, and, and e-money e uh, digital payment providers works to the benefit of uh, uh, vulnerable customers and indeed contribute to uh, increasing financial inclusion in, in West Africa and Sub-Saharan Africa in general. That's where we are. And I think uh, the mobile money industry has proven itself in the last 10 years of the capacity to reach the mass and contribute to you know, accelerating financial inclusion. How would the new players coming in and, and how would that collaboration work? That question still remains to be seen. You know, one of the, the, the interesting um, questions that you see outside of this context, uh, but in other contexts, like when you talk about cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, or, or even when you talk about certain kinds of e-money solutions that guarantee very high levels of privacy, is this uh, uh, question of formality of the transaction and, and whether or not um, digitization is going to lead to more participation in sort of formal legal commercial transactions, or is it going to, you know, uh, just become an add-on and another route for, for transacting uh, informally? What have you seen um, in Dakar and throughout Sub-Saharan Africa as to uh, the degree to which digitization is increasing formality, and, and does formality um, add to or detract from the economic well-being of uh, the most poor? Well, I have to say digitization is definitely uh, contributing to more um, transactions coming into visibility and coming into uh, formal platforms. So uh, a lot of, uh, uh, um, if we take the case, for instance, of MSMEs and, and, and the research that we have done with service providers uh, lately, a lot of the MSMEs and micro entrepreneurs have faced the situation whereas indeed they can no longer sell face to face. So they have to find different markets and e-commerce and leveraging digital tools and even WhatsApp and Facebook as a way to communicate to customers and, and sell is becoming the new norm and how they can relate to that. So yes, 
that makes information more visible in the payment ecosystem. Uh, that increased the level of population having financial, formal financial uh, instruments. Now, does that mean that the economy is necessarily moving to the, the formal level? And when I'm looking at that, it's from a fiscal perspective, are these micro-entrepreneurs becoming registered businesses? Are these micro-entrepreneurs coming in uh, into the, the formal uh, fiscal economy? That question is still out. Certainly on the, at the payment level, the for informal transactions that were happening, you know, the money that was under the mattress as a saving is coming out and it's now in a digital payment instrument and, and that enables the financial ecosystem to provide more services, tailored services to its customers. I think governments and policymakers have a bigger role to play in putting the right incentive for informal micro-entrepreneurs to go formal. And these incentives, whether they are you know, fiscal, whether they are linked to access to capital, whether they are linked to also uh, um, tools and capacity building, have to, we have to find the mix that make you know being a formal business something that all micro-entrepreneurs from the smallest one to the large one aspire to because the value they're getting out of being formal now outweighs uh, what they had in the informal you know, ecosystem. Is it then in your view, rounding out that thought, that formality and informality operate along a spectrum uh, with one slowly transitioning into the other? This is what we are advocating for, is to find a gateway to start servicing the informal uh, uh, um, ecosystem. And if that gateway being the payment piece and then building services that will allow them to have access to more capital to finance revenue generating activities and couple that with also investment into financial education, literacy and, and entrepreneurship capacity building so that they, they, they are empowered to have access to uh, more tools. They are empowered to increase their livelihood and then it slowly come into the formal economy. So this is definitely what's driving a lot of our work at UNCDF in terms of financial inclusion and digital, particularly where we build on a strategy that's uh, you know inclusive digital economy that leaves no one behind. We believe that if we make uh, the instruments available, if we invest in empowering customers with access to tool training and, and, and information, and if the policy environment is enabling to allow multiple actors, fina uh, uh, financial and non-financial service providers to play into the ecosystem of uh, servicing um, vulnerable population, then we will eventually have the right equ equation and incentive for that pathway to formal economy. I think for me, digitization of payment and leveraging digital platform to now in the new norm where we are to, to have access to uh, business and more customers is a gateway towards that formalization of businesses and impacting the formal economy. Sabine, thanks so much and the best of luck to you. Uh, your work is, is uh, obviously extraordinarily important. Thank you very much, Chris. It was an honor being here with you. One of the more interesting things about Africa, if you're a fintech geek, is that the very nature of the challenges facing the continent have long presented outsized opportunities for financial technology. 
its rugged terrain and often less than smooth physical routes create natural incentives to look for better, more efficient ways to upgrade channels of commerce. Meanwhile, the beautiful but vast expanses necessitate solutions that enable travel across long distances quickly. And then, perhaps most important, the continent's vast population of young people make Africa an innovator's playground, the home of over a billion people where novelty is not only accepted, but also desired, especially if it offers the possibility of economic inclusion and entrepreneurialism. But it's been the COVID crisis that, as elsewhere, has galvanized experimentation of fintech solutions, and necessity has been the mother, if not of invention, than adoption. The question, of course, is how such adoption will ultimately transform the economy, and whether the changes to come will constitute a digital version of more of the same, or a radical leap in the sophistication of African commerce. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to get in touch, just hit me up at Chris Brummer DR. That's at C-H-R-I-S-B-R-U-M-M-E-R-D-R. We'd love to hear from you.